everyone. Welcome back to But What Will People Say? I'm your host, Disha Mazeppa, and this is a South Asian interracial relationship and lifestyle podcast. Welcome back for another episode. I think one of the biggest privileges of this podcast that has that it has afforded me is the ability to talk to people who I really just like admire and think are just doing amazing things and that are doing the things that excite me. And one of those things is stand-up comedy. I think it's a space where we're seeing sort of this uptick in brown girls who do it. And one of those brown girls is Sashi Pereira. And the coolest part is she's in an interracial relationship. And that's actually how I found her is she does a joke about basically sunscreen and stuff that went viral because her husband is white and he needs a lot of it. And But really, the joke is about sunscreen. Anyway, I just love that I get to talk to these really cool people who do cool things, and I hope they can inspire you to pursue an unusual path or do things just for fun or explore something that maybe we didn't grow up seeing brown girls doing. And so I'm so excited and I feel so privileged to have the opportunity to talk to her. She was great. We talked about being a brown girl in the comedy space as well as the comedy scene in Australia um, and the trolls and the comments and all of the things. If you are located in London or in Melbourne, I've linked the link for her show tickets. So if you want to go see her, grab some tickets, check her out. Otherwise, you can follow her on Instagram. Hopefully she makes her way to the United States soon because I would love to go see her in real life. Um, But without further ado, here is Sashi Pereira. Alrighty, everybody. We're here with Sashi Pereira. She is a stand-up comedian from Australia. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me, Disha. Very excited. Uh, I'm a stand-up comedian from Melbourne, as Disha said, and I've just gone viral on Instagram. I'm trying to figure out how to cope with it. (laughs) What made you get into comedy? Was there a moment that you decided that's what you wanted to do? Yeah, I was living in a seven-person share house in Melbourne. I just moved to the city and everyone was really into comedy. There was this comedy competition that everyone was talking about called Raw Comedy. It's a national competition that anyone can sign up for. And I signed up and I got to the finals in the state for it and everything just kept going from there. Yeah, it seems like you've had a really positive response I did find you online watching some of the videos that went viral for you. And as someone who's a big fan of comedy in a space that is mostly white male comedians, and there's nothing wrong with that. I buy all of their tickets. I go to most of their shows. Um, But it's nice to see brown girls out there doing something that we don't normally see them doing and making comedy that's even more relatable. Yeah, I mean, I buy all the tickets to the white male comedian shows as well. They are great. Uh, But I have to say, like in Melbourne, there are quite a few South Asian women comics as well. So I didn't actually think that anyone would care when I started posting my reels. I was just trying to get a few more people down to my comedy festival show and having them go viral. Like the response has just been, I think I've just been blown away by it. Like I'm just meeting brown girls all over the world. I'm meeting white people. I'm meeting everybody. It's been really awesome. Was there a when did you decide like you wanted to pursue comedy? I I still don't know that I've decided it. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm just having so much fun doing it that I feel like as an adult like you're not allowed to just have fun. People keep being like, "But where is this going? You're spending so much time doing this." And it's like, "Yeah, because life is really boring the older yeah. you get." And found this really fun thing that takes me away from like doing the dishes and deciding what's for dinner every day. Like I'm just going to keep, keep pursuing that for as long as it's fun. I love that. I talk about that sometimes too, about how adults don't know how to have fun. Like they don't just do things for the sake of enjoyment. And I love that. Like it wasn't really a decision so much as like something you enjoy doing and we're rolling with it. Um, kind of like this podcast where I just started it with no 
real massive intention. I was like putting story out there. Hopefully it helps some people. Maybe other people will want to talk about it. Yeah. And it's just been received really well. And I think when people do things with like authenticity and coming from an honest place, like you can't miss. Yeah, I that is so true. I feel like it's been I've been blown away by the number of people who've just been like like you who've just been like, "Oh, it's so good to see a brown person doing comedy." And then I reflected on it because for me, I was like, there's heaps of brown people doing comedy, you know? Like there's like Aziz Ansari and Mindy Kaling and all these people, but I guess there isn't an Australian Sri Lankan stand-up comedian that I've seen that is female, and that is me. I get to be that person. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely some South Asian like representation in the comedy space, but I feel like, you know, a lot of them get confined to the immigrant humor. Like they don't yeah. just get to be a regular comedian. They have to be the immigrant comedian. Like you're here to cater to the brown people. Whereas, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they kind of get, especially like here in the US, like a lot of them, it feels like they get boxed in. Like any person of color, which I hate that phrase, but like that's what they I are. I know. Like when, <laughs> when was the conference to like decide on that phrase? Because I missed it and then everyone just started using it. And then I looked like an idiot if I didn't use it. Like you had to like get on board with the phrase and now I just use it. And um, when I use it in my comedy, one of the comments was like, say no to the term people of color. And I was like, I'd love to. Like, who do I call? I yeah. would love to do this. <laughs> yeah, for real. I think I did a whole podcast ranting about how if someone refers to me as a woman of color, I'm going to punch them in the face or I'm not going to respond to their email. <laughs> I'm like, don't don't send me an email asking me to talk at your AAPI event. Ask me to come to a like talk at some other thing on another month. If you're just yeah. hiring me for my race and gender, I'm going to call you racist and sexist. You're going to get all like panties in a bunch when I say that. And then you're not yeah, going to want to admit that the so hard. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm not oppressed. I don't need to sit here and talk about my fucking trials and tribulations, <laughs> homies. Like, I didn't sign up for a woman of color. You can sit there and label me that, but I'm not going to sit and live in this box you want to put me in. Like yeah. personally offensive. Yeah. Uh, I'm not offended by much, but that one that one kills me. Yeah, yeah. It sounds but, like you're over it, and that's what's important. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it keeps me up at night, but I think I'm over it. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, here in the U.S. that I see, like, so many of them, it's like, you're just here to make the brown people laugh. Like, Hasan Minaj, like, his audience, it just looks like, all of India and New York showed up and we're like, all right, we're here. <laughs> He's and so good though. He is. Yeah. Storytelling is great and I still love him. But I'm like, I wish we could just be like, just be comedians in their own just right of talking about whatever they want. And I feel like that's yeah. where some of your reels have been really fun to watch because they're like just regular topics that anyone could relate yeah. to. I was very uh, conscious about that when I started comedy. I was like, I don't want to talk about being brown. I don't want to talk about being a woman. I want to talk about doors and I want to talk about self-serve checkouts and I want to talk about automated voices and all of that. And that was really fun. But then I realized that you have to talk a bit about your experience on stage. And I feel like the real points of connection with people come on those jokes so I really love like having talked about many other topics, but I am finding that the ones that do the best are the ones that talk about like race or gender or being a woman of color and things like that. So it's hard to know which way to go with comedy in terms of that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the video I found you with was literally like you talking about your relationship and how you're married to someone who isn't brown. And there's like, you do a whole yeah. bit about it. Um, yeah. And of course, that's where I was like, haha, relatable LOLs. Let me message her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, but like, that's what made it funny. It's like, oh, I can relate to her and it's funny. Totally. And the yeah. comment section was worth the popcorn. Oh my God. Like, I didn't even mean to start replying to and screenshotting comments, but I was just, I've been trying to look for the word. And I think the word is just bemused. Like, I'd never commented on anything that was not a friend's post before. Like, I'm 
I'm such a boomer. Like I don't hang out on Instagram and comment on people's reels. So the fact that people are suddenly arguing in the comments about things that really don't matter, like whether I look like Anne Hathaway or not, which I definitely freaking don't, is just so weird to me. Like I think there's like 50 hits on that thread. Like why? (laughs) Go walk outside. You know, I think people need to be reminded that the internet is not real life. (laughs) But, you know, because sometimes like you see a post on social media and like I in my head, I'm like, oh, the comments are going to be so good. Like the (laughs) the just the dumbest of the dumb, along with the snarkiest, along with people who like you said need to be reminded to like go outside and take a walk. It's like, what's happening (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think the people that like your stuff generally are like, haha, lol, and then just move on with their lives because they're normal people. But then, yeah, the comments say, oh, man, I didn't I didn't know. I'm learning. Yes. Yeah, social media, the comment section will always show you how much time people have on their hands. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> too much. Too much time. I think then that's what you mean, what you said where you're, it's like life has gotten so easy sometimes that you're like, I got to spice it up. I'm bored. Like, what did I do today? Like I woke up, yeah. I yeah. went to work, now I'm here. Yeah. If like most of the world was still pulling 18-hour shifts at the factory, like we wouldn't be in this position. However, <laughs> <laughs> however, we don't want to go back. We don't want to go back to that. No, 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 no. I'll take the comment section over that. Yeah. Yeah. I know sometimes like, you know, you'll hear people say it's like, oh, like back in the day, like people didn't have time to do this kind of stuff or like. Yeah. You know, when we had real problems. And I'm like, yeah. that's fair. That's fair. It's not a wrong point to be made. But yeah. I don't yeah. know. I mean, these are better problems to have, surely. Like, yeah. I'm okay with this. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is a problem I can turn off. I just, like, delete my Instagram app and I carry on with my life and the world is rainbows and daisies, <laughs> like, 90% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, spend too much time and it's like the world is coming down. Like, everything's on fire not yeah totally I have I've bought one of those like phone lockbox thingies actually my husband bought it for me because he was like you're spending way too much time in this you're getting way too emotionally engaged not with the trolls like I was trying to write back to everyone who's like dm'd me and said something really nice and he was like you gotta and like my wrist was starting to hurt from holding my phone Which is which is why you can't be on social media when you're older. Like your bones are literally too weak to deal with like going viral. Uh, so yeah, the lockbox has been good. Like I just lock it in there for like twelve hours and don't look at it. No, there you go. I try to find like I have a couple friends with camps up in the mountains where there is no internet or cell signal. Oh, that's nice. And I'm like, yep, we're here now. This is it. Yep. Takes a while to adjust, but it's good. Um, but going off of <laughs> this sort of undecided but still exciting sort of path you're on, it's still a a bit not so much a risk as like a leap of faith to take towards something that is so atypical for like I don't know. I don't wake up most days and think like I should be a stand up comedian. Like let me go be funny because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm funny. But you know, where does that come from? That sort of faith in yourself that like, we're just going to do it. I reckon, I think I wanted to do it for at least 10 years before I actually did it. Like, because I loved watching stand up, I loved watching comedy and I just didn't think I was that funny. I didn't know that I was that funny. And I remember in my share house before I was going to the competition, like I was telling my housemate, I was like, what if I fall flat on my face? And he was just like, hey, Sashi, it's probably not going to go great. And then we'll all still be here for you. Don't worry about it, you know? And I was like, oh, thanks. And then it turned out I was pretty good at it. And even when it goes well the first time, you don't know that you can get paid for this. Like you're getting paid in beer tokens for like the first two years, you know? And suddenly you get paid and it's like, whoa, someone will pay me for this. That's awesome. I didn't know this was a job. That's cool that I could do. I thought it was a job that like white dudes could do, but it wasn't a job that I thought I could do. Like our options as South Asians are quite limited. It's like doctor, lawyer, accountant, engineer, 
And if you don't hit any of those, it's like, all right, cool, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it makes you start to limit your own belief in yourself of what are you capable of doing? What are the things you can accomplish with your life? Like, is there a space for you in these other arenas? And here I'm always telling women, it's like, you just have to go after what you want. And you have to just – yeah just jump right in and try your best. And like you said, it's probably not going to work out great the first time, but that's okay. The sun will come up tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just like follow what you enjoy doing. Like just, just follow that as a thread, like keep doing all the other stuff you're supposed to be doing. But like, it was just this little thread that I reckon I started pulling at. And then I was just like, Oh, this is so fun. (laughs) Just (laughs) unraveling the whole rug. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, when you find the thing that like lights you up, it's hard to not yeah. do it, even if you're willing to do it, like you said, for beer tokens, for no money. You know, you just keep on keeping on. It's like, no, but I like it. I'm going to keep doing it because my life without it would kind of suck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because as we said, life gets pretty boring. <sighs> Except for the trolls on the internet. They seem to have plenty to do. Just Well, commenting. to be fair, I did yeah. <laughs> commenting. <laughs> That's true. Uh, too funny yeah but um your partner is australian i guess right we don't get a lot of australians down here um tell us a little bit about him because he did inspire one of your more popular comedy bits honestly he's just the best human and like given the amount of shit i give white people in my comedy like he takes it so well like in like and i always run it by him like i'll be like hey i really want to do this joke about sunscreen from the time that we went to the beach but i don't have to talk about it but he's always just like no that's hilarious do that that's fine um so uh we met on bumble we don't have like a meet cute story it was just you know the algorithms they favored us we got really lucky with that and I think because we were in our 30s when we met you know like our parents were quite chill I think 10 years ago if I'd brought him home my parents would have been like like the heads would have just exploded like they just wouldn't have been able to compute just like but he's not Sri Lankan end of thought process yeah whereas um because I think after 30, they're like, oh, my God, like, anyone's fine. Please marry someone. So I think they were they were all right. <laughs> yes, pretty much the point that is made here over and over. It's like, if you wait yeah. long enough, they will give up hope on you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I just don't – I try not to encourage that route because I'm like, how long do we leave our life on pause? I know. Well, well, I I didn't even know that my life was on pause, you know, like, because you're just doing what everyone else around you is doing and it's not feeling right and you don't know why. Like, I just thought that I was weird for so long. And then I feel like I've moved to Melbourne, I found comedy and I was like, oh, cool. Everyone's weird here. There's no right way to be. And that was awesome for me. That was the first time I think I've been in this environment where you don't have to all be one homogenous thing. Yeah. I think if you pursue anything essentially outside of a corporate job, like you will find those people because when you're in, when you're in a cubicle, you start to wonder if you're sane or if there's something wrong with you or you're just a weirdo. And then you find these little creative pockets that if you pursue that, you will find, like I have found with podcasting of just people that like won't shut the fuck up. And it's like, oh, yeah, here we are. Look at that. And then suddenly you're not the weirdo in the room. You fit right in. And I think a lot exactly. of people are – So many people are scared to to go down that. They're worried about – of course, there's the stability, right, and just like the path. It's predictable. You know it will probably work out. But I don't know. For me, it just felt like a this life that we have to just be wasted. But that was just me. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just me too. Like I think following the path works for most people I know. And Mm -hmm. they look at me very confused because they're like, you are out four nights a week, like telling random stories to people you don't know with other random people. Like that's pretty weird. And I'm like, yeah, it rocks. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard to explain what we do. And then like when your schedules are like all over the place and like It's not predictable and it's like, when do I get paid for this? I don't know, but I'm going to keep doing it. (laughs) 
Like if my yeah. job told me like I want you to come in and do your job, but I'm probably not going to pay you, I'd be like, I'm not coming in then. Mm, that that sounds like a bad deal to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But with podcasting, it's like, do you want to do seven recordings today and not sleep? I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Want to lug all your camera equipment with you everywhere you go for fun? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'll do that. Um, but when I guess like you've been in the space and you when you had that little sunscreen video go viral. Um, if you guys haven't seen the clip, I will link it in the show notes. You can find it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there are a lot of people who are kind of offended. And I think the comedy scape these days feels like no matter where you go, if you're a comedian especially, like you will find someone to offend and it's become like trendy to be offended. Yeah, like I am finding there's no way to not offend people. And I do think like I think really carefully about like in a joke, who is the target of the joke and I am, am I okay with the target of the joke? And like this particular joke, I just wish that I could have like a one-hour conversation with every person who commented that it was racist because you're like saying white people of itself is not racist, but some white people feel that way because they're not used to being called like a person of color or a brown person or something like that. So just the term white people I've found like puts them offside. They're immediately kind of like taken aback and they're like, oh, we can't, we can't say that anymore. And it's like, no, you can't be racist. It's <laughs> different. You you can talk about race. We should talk about race, but um, it's not racist. <laughs> so you kind of, if people haven't taken the time to learn that, which I reckon like Everyone who's not white has had to learn that so that they know when someone's being racist to them or not. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. It's complicated, especially because the joke has like little to nothing to do with race. Like it's literally about sunscreen and how it's, they need it. Yeah, exactly. Like that's that's it. It's about – it's not even about how they need it. It's just that like – given how susceptible fair skin is to the sun, how was colonialism so widespread? That's it. Like, <laughs> how can you be mad about that? Uh, yeah, I know. And, like, you know, I don't know if you guys feel like this down in Australia, but, like, up here, ever since the, like, Chris Rock, Will Smith situation, which <laughs> yeah. the slap heard round the world, I'm sure you saw the it. slap, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's like he went up there and you slapped a comedian for making a joke that wasn't even – honestly, it wasn't even that funny. It was like an average joke. And I'm yeah. like, when did it become okay for you to assault someone to do that? And at first when I saw it, I was like, this is a joke. They're just trying to make it go viral because like nobody cares about these award shows. Did. Yeah. You know, I'm like, nobody's going to watch this. So like they have to do something. But then it's like, why are we making it okay to hit someone because you decided to be offended? Like – you look yeah. to be offended, not because anything he said was even that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's it's so hard. I mean, I think we've been talking about the line in comedy for so long and the line is always shifting. Like what people think is funny is always shifting. It's not like what you're allowed and not allowed to say. It's like you can say whatever you want. Whether you'll still continue to have an audience depends on whether they still find whatever you're spouting funny. And like, I think that's what people don't understand. It's like, there's, there's no, there's no one making the rules saying that, oh, you can't joke about this anymore. It's just, you kind of figure it out mm -hmm. by um, whether audiences are responding positively or negatively to you. Um, but yeah, it turns out jokes about alopecia, not okay for Will Smith specifically. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, are you... You know, are you looking to be offended? Because, like, it intention matters. And I think even as a podcaster, like, I find myself talking and saying stuff and editing things out of episodes because I'm like, people have decided that intention doesn't matter. That a sarcastic comment yeah. or, you know, just a joke or just, like, a really superficial statement are worth, like, having a meltdown over. And I'm like, when did we start entertaining those people? Like, I thought we were just, like, here to have a good time. Yeah. 
yeah, I thought I thought that's what we were doing, and that's um, yeah. I really I want to do this real, but I, it's going to take me some time to do it. But like, I just kind of want to splice together everything, like you know, uh, the parameters of acceptable comedy by trolls and it's like you can't talk about your race it's boring it's, you can't talk about your gender you can't talk about your partner you can't talk about your work like by the time you like add all those things up together it's just like oh I'm not allowed to talk about anything <laughs> which yeah. is kind of freeing because you're like I can talk about anything because everything's gonna piss people off anyway <laughs> yep and like yeah there's like some really cheesy quote that it's like to say something is to do something, but to not do anything at all is like a failure. It's some some cheesy quote like that. Ah, oh, I've not heard that. Very good quote. It's, it's something like that. I'm definitely paraphrasing. It might be wrong. Um, <laughs> it's probably wrong. Um, but yeah, like that's what it is. It's like, well, if I can't talk about anything, then I can talk about everything. And like pretty much everyone is allowed to have their own perspective. And like you can just laugh and like think it's funny because that's all it is like. With comedy, I'm like, it's just funny. Just laugh and move on. That's it. That's the extent of this. And I'm like, why can't you do that? And in my head, I'm like, those people never being invited to a birthday party. But also, <laughs> like, why are there so many of you? There are there are so many. But I do think it's because, like, most people who like stuff just, like, you know, they laugh or they grin and then they just flick past and move on with their lives. But these are the ones that like really stay on and they're like, I am offended and I need to get this off the internet. Like you <laughs> need to report this to the president of comedy or something or the president of the internet. So yeah, it's just so weird. Do you, do you find that? Cause I think sometimes I have to separate like the internet versus real life. Like, I yeah. will offend people on the internet, you know, but in real life, I'm like, no one has ever come up to me and been upset or offended or angry or hated me. And it's just like, ah. yeah, I think um, there, there's a real vibe check. Like a lot of the jokes that I've been doing for quite a while, like I've checked with friends or like I, in a room, like I know if they're received well or not. So like as long as no one in real life is mad at me and I feel like I check that, I, if a joke was ever being very offensive to someone I knew and trusted, I'd immediately stop doing it because it's like there's so much you can joke about in the world. There's no need to upset people you love. Um, but just for a punchline but if it's a random person on the internet that's offended of which there are many <laughs> probably just going to ignore it yep definitely but what has been the most fulfilling part about comedy for you so far oh my god I think it's honestly it's been going viral just because I've heard from so many people like we've just been talk about talking about the trolls which has been the negative aspect but I still yeah. think it's like a 90 10 ratio of like so many people reaching out like Lunkins Sri Lankans re reaching out and being like hey I'm in Nova Scotia like watching your comedy and I feel so seen or just brown girls or brown people any like white people being like you're hilarious sorry about the other white people like <laughs> sorry about our people it's so funny. And I think like, you know, in Melbourne, we were in lockdown for ages and it was like two years of life just not being normal. And I used to travel a lot. And in the last couple of years, I really haven't been anywhere. So just being able to connect with so many people over the globe on something that you wrote has just been like, I, I, it's surreal. Like I still haven't really processed that. Yeah, no, it's been it's been fun to watch as an outsider just looking in. I'm like, ooh, oh, cool. this is cool. Um, and I'll, hence why I messaged you. I was like, ooh, got to reach out to her, see what happens, <laughs> shooting oh, my so shots. Fun. Um, oh, no, it's so nice to meet people like not just on screens. Well, I mean, this is still a screen, but it's not like my little phone. It's that, like, you know, I can see your face. This is cool. <laughs> Listeners can't, but that's okay. They can just imagine. <laughs> Yeah, I'll share little clips of you so they know who you are. I'm like, oh, it's her. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, yeah, you're right. Like, the connection part is really what does it. Even for me as a podcaster, like, being able to get the messages from people or talk to people who have felt like this show has made an impact in their life or has helped them make a tough decision or has helped them, you know, get in the driver's seat and just go for it in life, like, that's really 
the most fulfilling part of it all. It's that there's real people. Yeah. And like when you did episode one of this podcast, you wouldn't have known that you were going to keep it going for like 150 and more, right? Like you just started, you just entered the void and it's just (laughs) kept going. That's so cool. Yes. The void. And scary, right? Like you're looking into the void. You're like, I don't know. (laughs) You just go. And I don't know how to like, how to express how you get to that point to someone. Like, people will ask, like, what made you take the leap? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just – I don't know. I I just did it. I was really bored. Yeah, I was just like, well, it needed to be said and no one was saying it. And I was like, I guess I'll say it. And it (laughs) went. (laughs) But, like, how much, like, can I think about, like, where do you get to that point? And so, like, sure, maybe it's, like, the things we went through and the lives that we've led and just, like – Knowing what it took for me to get to the point where, you know, I w- when this show came out, I was married already. And it's like, yeah, I had to go through all the bullshit. And I was like, actually, I'm kind of over all of this being so dramatic. I'm tired mm. of families having meltdowns. I'm tired of someone getting disowned. I'm tired of feeling like I'm the only person who's been through this. And, yep. re- and like, yep. it's not just like the surface level story. And I was like, I guess that's where this came from. It's just – Yeah, very good. The only direction to go was like leap in the void. I don't know if you feel like that with the things you do. Oh, very much. I feel like I had set a house on fire and then I had to leave it. (laughs) So I was like, all right, cool. I guess I need to step into the void. (laughs) And into the void we've gone. Um, Yeah. What is it like for you to – what's the process like for you to come up with comedy? What makes good, I guess, fodder for a comedian? Um, I think it's like anything that you're looking at. Um, I think the way that I write is very much like I'll think of something and I'll be like, that's weird. And then I'll – I like there's just notes in my phone that I constantly have, which is annoying because sometimes I wake up to a note that just says like olive – like I don't, I don't know what was going on there. That like, could you, could you add some more freaking information? Um, and then you just do like a little bit more research into it. Like I really loved the birds and the bees one because I was just like, why is it called the birds and the bees? And then you look into it and you're like, that's ridiculous. They did not make science based off that. So you just, again, I think it's just a little thread that you pull at, and then you figure out what's really funny about it, how to get the most amount of information in the shortest amount of time. Because obviously um, often in like club sets, you only have like five to 10 minutes to get the information out to people. So you need to figure out how to get your thoughts across in the shortest possible time. Yeah. I, you know, I always wonder about that because when almost all creative paths, like there's no path, you don't like go to university for a comedy you don't go to college yeah. and get a degree in like how to make a podcast. Maybe now you can. Maybe now. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. so, but like anything creative. But like when you look at artists or singers, it's like, well, they sing or they make art, they perform. But I'm like comedians. I'm like you don't just like be funny. Like there's got to be there's got to be some sort of a not not so much a formula, but like you always wonder like how do you just be funny, right? Like no one just walks up to you and it's like, hey, Sashi, be funny right now. I don't know why, but in my head, they were holding a gun. Were they holding a gun in your head too? It was just like, hey, Sashi, be funny. I was like, oh, my God, I'd get shot on sight. There's no way I could respond to that. Yeah. 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 Uh, What was I thinking about? I can't remember the question. I'm just thinking about someone holding a gun to my head and telling me to be funny. (laughs) Well, right. And so that's what I mean. Like it seems like Uh, with creative pursuits, it's like, oh, they just did it. And it's like, no, like you have to like with art and stuff, you practice and you try different things and you make mistakes uh, and you fall on your face a few times. And with comedy, it's like you didn't just wake up funny. Like you have to do stuff because I think it's a really vague idea of like how does someone become a comedian? You know, there's yes, no um, that's 
that is what I was going to say before I got distracted. I think there are great stand-ups who can do sets on the fly. I'm not one of them. I practice my ass off. So like the first set that I went to do at the um, comedy competition, like I'd not been on stage before and I was literally practicing into a hairbrush, like in a mirror before I got on stage. And there's just no way to know whether that's going to work or not. But that's also why I like stand-up because, like, you just have to go do it. And I'm quite an anxious person. Like, I plan. I'm a big planner. And I think this just takes me out of who I normally am in day-to-day life because you just got to get on stage and you just got to see if it works. And if it doesn't, you have to get over it which I'm also not good at. So it's just like failure is totally okay. Like no one's going to care. Like they've just seen 10 comedians in a row. If you've not been particularly good on that night, they're going to move on with their lives. It's okay. It's not the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And then what happens when you, because like you said, you get up there and you practice, you go and do comedy and sometimes they laugh and sometimes they don't laugh. For someone who yeah. maybe is pursuing a field that's a little more creative and there's probably more failures than successes in the beginning, how do you get over those moments where it, it kind of feels like the room might be dead silent? Oh, my God. Like the first time you bomb is horrible. Like it just feels like time stretches forever. But all comedians are incredible and supportive in saying that like your bomb is coming. Like it just has to happen. Like every now and then you can do the exact same set that worked, has been working for you for ages. And then you'll get to a room for whatever reason, the vibe is off and it just doesn't work. And you just learn that you just go through it and then you get off stage and then you do something nice for yourself, go buy an ice cream and then you just move on to the next one. Like you don't quit comedy because you bombed one time because everyone bombs. Yes, absolutely. And I guess it's that courage to keep going that everyone needs because, again, it's this really vague idea of how anyone in a creative space gets to where they are. And all you ever see is like the viral videos, the funny bits on Instagram, the podcast episodes that did well, the cool guests I get to talk to. But I'm like, after how many episodes? Listen, they're not all winners. Yeah. Some of my episodes, <laughs> if I ever make it in podcasting, like there's a list of episodes that I'm like, I need to delete these. These are <laughs> terrible. And bless my listeners who tune in every week and stick it out with me. But some Yay. of them aren't that good and I can admit that. <laughs> and that's all the creative things. But we're not like taught to fail, right? Like, especially like in the Sri Lankan community, it was very much like, you can't get 99, you have to get 100. What's the point of just even existing if you're going to get 99? So that's kind of like the mentality that we're raised with. And you're not taught that it's okay to fail. And that's something that we have to learn for ourselves, that actually everyone's failing all the time, most of the time. And that's okay. Yeah. And I've learned, I think over time, I've I've reframed the mind space of like celebrating failures instead of being upset. Yes. Like I acknowledge the successes, but they are few and far between. And they're like a blip. It's like, ooh, that was a good one. But the yeah. failure is like 90% of it. But like I've learned yeah. to like celebrate it and really take what I can from it because it means I'm growing and I'm doing better and we're moving forward. Absolutely. Like the growing part is like you actually can't grow if you don't fail. Like it's it's just not possible. Yeah. Where do you find it in you to keep going? Like on the days that are hard, because we all have them. We all have days where we're like, oh, I'm terrible. Why am I doing this? Like this is so <laughs> much harder than I thought it was going to be. Where do you find it in you to keep going? Honestly, I've just learned to ignore that bit of me because I just think like I'm such a perfectionist I've felt like such a loser when I signed up for TikTok because I was like you're too old no one will care you can't even work the editing on this thing like what are you doing why are you posting reels on the internet you know like there's always this voice being like what is this thing that you're doing like justify it validate it and I just have learned to just see what happens. It's like, okay, I'm allowed to get this app. I can delete it if I want to. And if the reels don't go well, I can delete them. But like, why not just give it a try? So I think like instead of the why, I've started asking like, why not? 
and then seeing where that takes me instead. That's a, that's a good way to reframe that. The why not just do it. Cause it's like, what's the worst that can happen? Like it yeah. doesn't work. Someone says no. <laughs> yeah. Everyone will laugh at me. Oh no. Like that's the point of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, even for me, I reach out, like I reach out to people. I slide into DMs, literally like it's my job. And you know, yeah. you don't see the people who never respond to me or leave me on red or, you know, don't want to be guests. <laughs> Rude. But like, don't worry, I have a list. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you don't see those people. You only see the guests that are here and that are on the show yeah. and talking to me. So it's like, oh, look at all these cool people she got. But I'm like, that's like one in ten. Yeah. The nine yeah. left me on red or didn't respond. <laughs> but you keep trying, right? Like that's the point because you know that one out of ten, all you need is one out of ten. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's the same thing with anything people choose to do that are that maybe isn't so like predictable or easy. Even if you're say you are going for the corporate, the corporate goal, whatever that looks like for some people, that still involves like some level of risk taking and doing things that are maybe not what everyone else wants. Like I don't want to work 80 hours a week, but like if you do, go for it. Like I think that's the thing. Like there's no right way to be. It's like if that brings you happiness, go for it. Like that's awesome. Every time I see a friend make like partner or get like some really cool corporate job, I'm like, hey, you worked freaking hard for that. Well done. And like all my friends who are doctors and are Sri Lankan, I love them. And I know that they're living their best life. It's just that I didn't know what my best life looked like because it didn't fit to, into any of the framework. So it's more about being like widened the framework for everyone so that they don't feel like such a weirdo when they don't fit into the mold. Yeah, absolutely. And like what – the thing is like sometimes you take the shot and you get what that what you thought you wanted and then you realize it's not what you wanted. That's okay oh, too. Yeah. And I yeah. think a lot of people are scared to like, you know, they'll go into a certain profession or something and then they feel like they're stuck there. Like, oh, well, I invested all this time and energy and now I hate this job. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like such a – because and I've been there. Like I have a master's degree that I barely use most days. But it's like <laughs> – yeah. and for – I still work part-time doing that, but I'm like – that's literally because I don't know how to justify like the student loans that I took out for this degree that I hate. And I'm like, <laughs> but I'm like, I did it. I learned. I will manage to always have a job, I guess, even if I don't love it. But like now it gives me the freedom to also like podcast and talk to cool people. And that's how I spend a lot of my time. Yeah. And I think that's fine. Like, so when I was in uni, like I really chased um, working for the United Nations. Like I really, like that was my thing. I was like, I really want to work for the UNHCR, which is like the UN body that deals with refugees. And that's, that was my like sole goal for so long. And then I got it. And then I did a couple of years of it. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll come to Melbourne, do my master's and then leave. And they just ended up staying. And I think that not going back for ages made me feel like exactly that, like I just wasted 10 years of my life. But actually I had spent 10 years getting experience in this incredible area and now I'm just doing something else. Like that's okay, you're allowed. Like they say life is short, but it's actually super long if you're lucky. So you've got to switch it up a little bit. Yeah, that's an that is a conversation I've had with people that when I say that they look at me like I'm crazy. Where I'm even yeah. the day I remember the day I started working, I'm an occupational therapist, and the day oh, cool. I started doing that, I was like, "Yeah, I'm not going to do this forever." And everyone in the room was like, "What?" Because <laughs> like you know, you spend all this time and money. You have this degree. You have this license. The boards examines this whole thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to, like, do it for a while. And then I don't know what I'm going to do. And they were like, are she okay? And I'm like, <laughs> like you said, life ideally is long. And I hope to God I'm not doing the same thing for 60 years. And in my mind, that was never the plan. But for a lot of people, it, I think that mindset alone traps them in that, like, well, this is what I do now and this is what I'm going to do and do it forever. 
yeah, yeah, which works for them. But like the thought of doing the same thing for 60 years makes me want to, oh, like that just scares me more than anything. I'm like, but the exact same thing forever? That sounds horrible. Yeah. And yeah, there's definitely some people who like that is their thing. And a lot of our parents' generation has that sort of mindset. And I guess maybe that's where some of it comes from. But someone who is married to someone who isn't brown, my in-laws like (laughs) my in-laws have like such a colorful life. Like they talk about the things they've done. And like literally it was like professional drag racer owned a balloon company, opened a car, opened an auto body shop, worked in computer science got a master's degree like and this like I haven't even gone through the list of things that like my father-in-law has done and I'm like yeah look at that life like that's amazing like he started a company with his best friend then he was a drag racer then he did something else and he's like yeah like you can't just like you will always change paths like you'll always change your mind that's fine just keep doing it yeah and I feel like so for my parents, they had to leave Sri Lanka because of the civil war there. They wanted us to have an education outside the country. And well, I mean, the education system there is freaking amazing, but it was just really turbulent times back in the day. Still kind of is. But um, like they, I think when we came to Australia, they were like, oh, you get to live the life that we didn't get to live which is stability. You don't have to leave all your friends behind and you don't have to leave your work behind and everything you love behind. So like, please choose a stable career. So I totally get why they really instill that mindset in us. Like, I think it's because they don't want us to experience what they had to experience in leaving everything behind, which I totally get. And I think they encourage us into those professions because they're the most stable ones, right? But just like, it doesn't mean it will make you happy, which I think is a tough thing for get them to get their head around sometimes because they're like, how can you not be happy? You have everything I didn't have. So, mm-hmm. yeah. How does your family so, feel about your comedy? I think they're fine because I still have a day job. So, like, they're like – and this is the most stable I've been in ages because, like, before I was kind of – going in different countries and like working in this area that was kind of unstable and now they're like she's in Melbourne she's in one place that's good um and she's only doing comedy at night time but if I I think if I ever went full-time they would freak out (laughs) absolutely still you know and I'm like I'm 36 years old like they would still freak out I reckon 100 percent yeah probably but um yeah, no, I think my parents would freak out too. But I mean, I don't tell them what I do most of the time. So they're just well, like, could sh- you even explain it to them? If I tried to tell my parents I was a podcaster, they'd just be like, I don't like, look, that ugh, just keep your day job. Please just keep your day job. <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty much more or less how it's met. It's not really like <laughs> they don't really get it. So they're just like, oh, that's like this hobby she has. She likes to do this thing. It's, it's a not, hobby. Yeah. Yes. I think as long as you call it a hobby, they're okay. Yeah. They're like, I can get on board with that. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can do that thing for fun. Like you're married now. So we're proud of you finally. And like now you can have hobbies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that insane? That's just so funny that we're even having this conversation where it's just like, oh, no, nah, they'd freak out. <laughs> <laughs> just casual, like panic motive. Like if I did this and I wasn't married, it would be met with like a thousand fold freak out. Oh. Yeah. But I'm married, so they're like, well, my job is done. So she can just, like, be a disaster somewhere else now. It's also really funny because my parents, like, were going through this big separation at the time that I got married. And I did think that both of them, like, visibly relaxed when I got married because they were like, oh, she's fine now. And it's like, but you know very well that marriage doesn't mean everything's okay. <laughs> like, why is this? What's happening? Yeah, that part I will never grasp. Like, the general, like hypocrisy of it because you like my family like everyone's kind of a hot mess and it's just like why are we still pushing the agenda like it didn't work out (laughs) for most people yeah this is very confusing yeah exactly it's just like well it didn't work out for us but you know you do it because it's what everyone does and it's how you stay safe and it's like no women women have rights now (laughs) it's okay we don't need to get married (laughs) 
Yeah. And well, that's where I think a lot of South Asian women struggle to like rock the boat or do anything too risky or be too loud or be someone who stands out too much. Like we've had this instilled in us of just like stick to the script, follow the plan, do as you're told. And it's it sounds so minor, right? It's like I do comedy because I like it. I'm a podcaster because I enjoy it. And like the concept of spending as much time as I have on this show, it feels like for some South Asian women, they just look at me like, what is she doing? Yeah. Yeah. And I almost want to take them and I want to shake them, be like, you can do whatever you you want. want. (laughs) Like every day on this podcast, I have to yell like, you are a grown ass adult. You have a job, you have a bank account, you got your own house or whatever. Like you can do anything you put your mind to. And I feel like there's no group of people that are more hardworking than brown girls. Like they're so hardworking. They're so like – there's so much perseverance in everything they've done in their life. But then when you tell them that they can do anything, they don't believe you. Yeah, well, they're like, no, no, I just want to do this thing. And it's like, yeah, that's cool if that's what you want to do. Are you sure that's what you what, what, what you want to do? And they're like, I don't know. It's like I didn't know, you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that there was so much else I wanted to do that just, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's so mm-hmm. hard. It's, yeah. yeah. I mean, COVID happened and I had like a full-on like mental breakdown because I lost my job, which hindsight 2020, great idea. But in that moment, I was like, I don't know what to do because I knew I was burnt out. I knew I didn't want to go back to doing that and working full time in that world. And I remember my mother-in-law straight up looking at me being – she goes, well, what makes you happy? And I think like my jaw hit the floor. Like you probably heard it like slam to the ground because I'm like, wow, you're not my brown mom. But also I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. And we should be able to answer that question. Like that's the starting point. What makes you happy? And I don't think a lot of, not a lot, but I think there's definitely some women out there who don't even ask themselves that, the per, like they don't give themselves permission to ask themselves that question. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think a lot of people would like roll their eyes and just be like, oh, that's a question for white people. It's just like, no, it's a question for all people, all people. <laughs> what makes you happy? Yeah, that is part of it because it's – especially if you're raised here like in the US, like a lot of us were raised like we don't want to be like those white people. That's how everything was phrased. And so anything that makes you seem like a white person was seen as like, no, you're not like that. We don't do that. And it's like we don't be happy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We don't – we don't get to be happy. Yeah, we just have to like put our head down and work all day and then like one day we die. Yeah. Like, oh, what makes us happy is making our parents happy. Like that. that's it. Oh, that sounds odd. But sure, sure. That sounds fine. <laughs> and it's easy if you like – if you never stop and think about it. And I think that's what the pandemic did. It gave people a chance to stop and think about it. And a lot of people were like, oh, this sucks. I don't want to do that. <laughs> a lot of people have chosen to reevaluate their the way they live their lives and what they do with their time, especially here. Um, I don't know about like in Australia, but there's been a huge shift in just like the way people choose to live, the work that they're willing to do, how much they might want to work. I mean, basically around here, if you have like like a service job, like a waiter or something at like a McDonald's, like None of those jobs are filled. Every single place is hiring because everyone's like, you pay me like $10 an hour. I don't want to be here. Yeah, I think it's the exact same thing over here where people are like, pay me money. Stop exploiting me. And then people are like, oh, this generation is so lazy. It's like, no, (laughs) they just know that they're being exploited. We we stop doing that. Right. And also the fact that wages haven't kept up with the cost of living. So it's like, who cares if I work hard? I can't even like afford my groceries. Who cares? Yeah. There's no, like, the the agreement was if I work for you, you give me money. When I get money, I can buy a house. I can have a family. I can live. (laughs) But as a millennial, 
that has not come true. So at this point, the agreement is broken. I can't afford to live. I can't afford to buy a house. Like, you, no job is going to pay me enough that I can survive on my own. Like, thank God I have a husband. So we have two incomes. But like, what? When did I need to be married (laughs) to be a functional person? And that's when the papers are like, okay, fine, lazy person. (laughs) I guess we'll find some immigrants to fill these jobs. Yes, but if you're in America, they're not big fans of the immigrants, only when they're in, like, China being exploited to make their products. Offshore, I see. Offshore immigrants. They're not into the inshore immigrants. It's not a thing. No. No, not big fans. I see. Yeah, but we're going to steal their jobs. I'm like, the jobs you didn't want? Like, (laughs) immigrants – like, did you want to be my house cleaner? Did you want to be the carpenter? Like, the jobs immigrants in this country take are, like, literally, it's, like, house cleaning, working in the back of restaurants, like, things that, like, the white people complaining about are jobs they would never want. Yeah. I'm like, it, what are you it, complaining about? It's all so illogical. Uh, Yeah, it just makes me mad thinking about it. I think I try not to think about it too much because it just makes me too angry. But anyway, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Sometimes, like, I just, like, this is where I should learn to keep my mouth shut, but I don't. (laughs) And then whatever. And, like, I don't like to get into politics, so that's the one thing I don't touch with a 10-foot pole because I'm like, that's, like, asking, asking for it. But for you – Imagine the comments. <laughs> yeah. Imagine the comments and imagine the trolls and the people. I Then it would just be like I can just tattoo internalized racism into my, <laughs> into my forehead. Or what is it? I hate brown people or I hate myself and that's why I married a white person. I get that one a lot. It's it's so <laughs> weird. Do you know what? It's so ingrained in our culture that like – it didn't even occur to me that I could date someone who was not Sri Lankan, I think, until I was well into my late 20s, you know? Like, <laughs> it was all Sri Lankans that I dated. And I grew up in Australia. Like, But it was always in my head. I was like, of course I'm going to ma- marry a Sri Lankan. That's why would I not? And then when I realized that there were other people to date, like the dating pool just widened. And I was like, oh, <laughs> there's all these people here that I can – date they're right outside wow (laughs) yeah other things that sometimes you feel like why did this never occur to me I mean for me I think I was a little bit more of like always did whatever I wanted which is where my parents always had a heart attack but like (laughs) I mean I've been dating whoever I wanted forever but that's not the point real empowering you know it was so cool in high school uni and the years after uni (laughs) (laughs) you know I've met a lot of brown girls who will only date brown guys and then they complain about their dating life and I'm like there's other people you can date and they're like what (laughs) I'm like up (laughs) yeah I'm like yeah like you can just date anyone and they're like no and I'm like I mean that's a personal choice but you can. <laughs> it's a tough go. And it's tough to watch because I'm like, sometimes I'm like, I feel like you've put yourself in this box. Like, I feel like we're complaining about brown boy problems, but you only date brown boys. So how do we solve that? Yeah. And again, not a generalization, but like sometimes I'm like, if you just didn't date a brown person, you wouldn't have this issue. <laughs> again. It's because I hate myself. <laughs> it's, it's internalized racism. That's what we should name this episode. Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm going to call it. Internalized racism with Sashi Pereira. Yeah, exactly. I'm still <laughs> working through it. Yet to locate it. <laughs> um, but if you could leave the audience of this show with a piece of advice, we've talked about a lot of things today, but something that you could leave them with what would it be? I would say please pull the thread that just, you know, anything that brings you just the tiniest bit of joy that breaks the monotony of your day, just pull at that and see where it takes you. Like maybe you really like baking or maybe you really like performing. Please come do stand-up comedy. We need more brown girls doing everything actually. 
Um, but I'd say like pull the thread because it might unravel an entire another life for you, um, which is, I don't know, that I don't know if that's good advice, but pull the thread. I like it. I like that advice. It's good advice. If people could find you or wanted to find you online, where could they find you? Um, Instagram, I'm at Sashbomb. Come leave me a troll comment. I will try to figure out another witty reply for you. Um, it definitely uh, won't make me sad. <laughs> leave some positive comments. <laughs> you do have great sassy comebacks, though. They're good. I like them. <laughs> So that's when I'm bored. I just like read the comments of like most comedians, like little feeds, because I'm like, oh, it's gonna be so good. I, I really, I think I need to do more of that because I haven't done that. So I need, I normally just watch the clips. So I think I need to really dive into the comment sections to understand how widespread the trolls are. <laughs> I don't think we, I want, I wonder how many of them are bots. Do you ever think about that? Like Oh, uh, yeah. Like, so if you go to their profile and they have like zero posts and zero followers uh, or and or, like no picture, I normally don't bother responding to that because that's definitely a bot. Um, but if it looks like a real person, which most of them seem to be. <laughs> I was trying to give them some hope. Damn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. It's been an absolute pleasure. Ah, thanks for having me. Keep going. You're doing awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Make sure if you enjoyed this episode, you leave us a review on iTunes. You can find the show on all major streaming platforms. You can find me on Instagram at disha.mazeppa. You can shop my Etsy shop, Disha Mazeppa Designs. Find out everything you want to know about this show at dishamazeppa.com. And if you or someone you know would like to be a guest, you can email bwwpspodcast at gmail.com. And I'll see you guys next time. Bye. This podcast is hosted and produced by Disha Mystery Mazeppa. Music for the show was created by Crexwell. Crexwell.